What's up, party people? Welcome to Ditch the Ick, a podcast all about navigating dating, career, and honestly, life in general as a millennial. I'm your host, Katie Carson, 30-something avid dater and entrepreneur. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to be joined by Denise Holler today. She is a clinical sexologist. Denise, you want to introduce yourself and let everybody know a little bit about who you are? Yes, I'm happy to. Hello, everybody. My name is Denise Holler, and I am a clinical sexologist and certified sex coach. Okay, so I am fascinated by this because I honestly didn't know that a clinical sexologist was like an actual thing until like a year or two ago. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is, what that means, what you do? Yes. So sexology is the study of what people do sexually, just human sexual behavior, what people think and feel about it. And then sex coaching is, you know, built kind of on sex therapy. However, therapy works with the past and coaching works with the present to future goals or, you know, it's goal oriented. So sexology is kind of the what of sex coaching and the sex coaching and working with the with my clients is the how like the coaching is the how like how do we get from where we are now to our goals and that varies by each and every client one i love the way you framed that because i don't know that i've ever heard the difference between therapy and coaching explained that way so thank you because that's awesome. That is exactly what it is. And as soon as you said it, a light bulb went off. I was like, oh yeah, that is the difference. And you know, that means that if I have a client who has had some sexual trauma, I can work in tandem with while they're going to therapy. So they can work with a therapist at the same time as they work with me. Or I have some couples where I'm like, you know, this is really kind of a therapy counseling area. Guys work with them on these issues and I will work with you on the sexual issues because a lot of times you have to address, there's so many things to address. And if they're not in, in therapy or counseling at the time, I can't move forward with them if they haven't dealt with the past. Right. Like you have to deal with the actual root causes, not just the symptoms. And oftentimes, you know, the problems in the bedroom are a reflection of the problems that are happening elsewhere. Do you find that I'm super curious about this as a single person? I don't know that I have ever thought about sex coaching for me as an individual. I've always thought about it as something you do with a partner or partners or whatever your situation is. Do you have any single clients? Like, how does it work if you're a single person in sex coaching? There are so many possibilities as a single person, especially for women. And to be honest, I think that all women should do it because I can teach them about their bodies, have them explore masturbation because you can't have a full sexual experience with your partner if you don't know your own body first. It all starts with us and self-intimacy is huge, just like intimacy with a partner, but you can't have that honest emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy with a partner until you've had that with yourself. So a lot of women don't know their own bodies. They don't know how to masturbate. 
or they don't know how to figure out what feels good to them. And for many women, myself included, body image issues, that is just a huge thing. So I help women with body image issues as well, or maybe they can't have an orgasm solo, or maybe they just have never explored it because society says masturbation is bad for women. Well, that's a bunch of shit. I masturbate every day, sometimes five times a day. It just depends on the day and depends on my libido. And yeah, like I so um, I got divorced um, a year and a half ago and masturbation is great. It releases endorphins. It makes you feel good and it gets those hormones moving through your body and I can tell my next partner, I'll move a little bit to the left there or show him where my clit is because many men don't even know. So let me point it out for you. And sometimes you got to pull it back a little bit so you can get in there. <laughs> there is so much to unpack in everything you just said that I want to talk about. And full disclosure, we both have ADHD. So this is, I, I need y'all to buckle up for this because we're going to, we're going to tangent, we're going to rabbit hole. <laughs> Pun intended. For a um, bit. <laughs> it's it's fine because there's just a lot that you know you and I talked about when we first met, and then also that you just said right there that I really want to dive into. And I released an episode about purity culture and how that really impacted my relationship with my body and my relationship with my sexuality and all that, and, and especially how it relates to masturbation and what we were told about that. And I think that that is such a huge hurdle, like that mental hurdle, especially for women, can be so hard to overcome. And I know for myself, when I first started learning how to do all of that, it was hard for me to let go and like actually have a good time. And the same went for like when I first started having sex, right? Like when I was going through my, my first, I call it my first rumspringa. Um, <laughs> you know, like- Right. Like I, it was, oh, there was a, like, I didn't, I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I enjoyed. I didn't know how to be present in my body for it because I, I had some trauma in my past. And that has been a really big difference for me now in my 30s is that I do know for the most part what I want. There's still some things I haven't tried, you know, but I do know myself and my body now. And I do know how to be present. And, or to at least recognize when I'm not, right? Which is, I think, a really big deal. And I feel like as women, our minds are always on 20,000 different things and what needs to get done. And like, I feel like there's a performative element that we feel like we have to live up to at some point too, right? So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, if, for instance, like I came into your office and we were talking about that, like, how do people kind of get past some of those shame issues and, you know, get comfortable even talking about it. Because I know for myself, like even the word masturbation or clit or vulva or vagina or like whatever it was, was felt was looked down upon as dirty. Like we're shamed for our bodies and our sexuality in a way that men aren't. And that's a whole gender equality oh, discussion. <laughs> yep. There's an orgasm gap mm -hmm. and women aren't having them and they should be. I like to work with women and I like to work with um, couples um, to make sure that women are 
achieving orgasm and reaching orgasm and feeling that pleasure because there's, oh, this world needs more pleasure. And masturbation is not bad, you know? And once you get that down, then you can move on to mutual masturbation. And, you know, that can be quite fun. Somebody comes in, you know, first it's, it's you know, the myths telling them what masturbation is not bad, that our bodies are meant for pleasure. There is a reason that our clit has 10,000 nerve endings and it's only the only thing it is meant for is pleasure. There is no other purpose for our clit other than pleasure. And men don't have that. I mean, they have a penis, but they pee out of that. Our clit, purely for pleasure. And the new studies that are coming out, when I first started school, the clit had 8,000 nerve endings. Now it's over 10,000 that they have found. And it could be more. Um, and the clit extends, you know, like all the way to the clitoral nerves go extend all the way to our anus. And women can have multiple different orgasms, not just, but 90 to 95% of women need clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm. And men and women don't know enough about that. So they think that, oh, they're having sex and they're not having orgasms, both. And then they're faking them because they don't want their man to feel bad. Well, they're just doing themselves a disservice because just be honest. Be like, nope, I haven't come yet. So let's figure out how we can get me there. And again, that starts with masturbation, knowing where you find pleasure. Is that always going to be? No, because if you're having sex for the first time with somebody, you can know all of your spots. But, you know, it's still, you're still nervous, you know? So there's a learning curve, right? Like with, with any new partner, there's a learning curve. And I just recently learned that about the nerve endings of the clitoris and how far they expand and like how it can be stimulated, not just like directly, but indirectly, which fascinated me. For myself, I have been in the place, I won't lie, where I have faked them so that like people didn't feel bad or just because I wanted it to be over. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've all been there. But it's true. Like, I think, again, that's a difference between now and my 30s is I am much more likely to be like, hey, this is where we need to be. For me to enjoy this and i'm not gonna be performative about it like if you're not actually gonna make me orgasm i'm not gonna act like you are but i've also found and this has been something that's been really interesting for me in my second rumspringa as i'm calling it post hysterectomy is that the guys that i am matching with or the partners that i'm matching with are more concerned with my pleasure than in my 20s. Like they are more concerned with me having an orgasm first before like anything really even happens before penetration happens, which is what most people think about. But that's, you know, not the only thing. But they are more concerned with my pleasure than they are their own, which I find refreshing. Finally, yes, they are getting it. But it should start younger. We don't we don't teach women how to have pleasure. We don't teach men how to give women pleasure. That's not their fault. That they're looking in the wrong places to figure out how to bring a woman pleasure. My favorite book of all time for any men listening that men should get is, oh gosh, now I'm having a brain fart. She Comes First by Ian Kerner. There is a very good guide at the end on exactly how to go down on a woman. And it's from beginner to advanced. So men get that book because women deserve that. And in his book, he says, 
you know, you start by going down on them and that's where you give them their first orgasm. Then you can give them another one. And because it takes the average woman, it takes 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes to have to reach orgasm. And a men's average time to reach orgasm is like, you know, five to 15, depending. And that's just us. I mean, when I masturbate, though, I can reach orgasm in 30 seconds sometimes. So that's about being comfortable with your body and knowing that it's okay to masturbate. Um, that has mom. been that has been a huge thing for me, like is realizing now that I'm once, once I got comfortable with it and once I got comfortable with my body, which really was a real transformative experience for myself. I was always kind of like the fat friend. And then, you know, looking back now, obviously I was not. That was also diet culture. But it was so funny to me because last year, the year before, somewhere before my hysterectomy, which is now how I measure time, I was probably the biggest I had ever been. And yet when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was like, that girl's hot. I'd do her. And it was a totally new thing for me. And now that I'm at that place with my body where it doesn't matter what the number on the scale says or honestly even what size my clothes are because we all know that that and I'm not even going to dive into the sizing in women's fashion and how bullshit it is. But um, really recognizing and honoring my body and not even necessarily for body positivity, but body neutrality. Like my body is doing what it was created to do. And, you know, I'm going to embrace all of that. And I think that was like a huge, huge part of getting comfortable and being able to explore myself and my sexuality, both on my own and with a partner. Definitely. I know for me, um, most of probably the last eight to 10 years of my marriage was sexless. And what is considered a sexless marriage is sex less than six times a year. Um, so that, because I was also at my heaviest, um, well, kind of, I mean, I was heavy then too. So as a plus size woman, I totally get it. But for all of that time here, I'm thinking in my head, it's me, even though he never said that, but it doesn't matter what's said. It's the actions. I know now that it wasn't me. But after my divorce, it took me a couple of years of, well, not a couple of years, but I started working on it prior to my divorce, working on me. And the thing I got myself after my divorce was a boudoir shoot. And I have been wanting one for months. I almost booked one. I was looking at them to book one, like either before, right before or after my hysterectomy, but it just like, I'd never, I didn't find somebody in my area. Everybody needs to do it. It is the best feeling in the world and you just want to hang your pictures everywhere and I don't care I'll share I even posted one on my business page one of my boudoir pictures because damn I was on fire and as a plus size woman to feel so confident like I mean I was confident before the shoot but that just upped the game and of course we can I'm going to tell you I'm confident in my body but you know what there are days where I sure as fuck am not and that so just because somebody says they're confident in their body doesn't mean that they are 24 7 like no we all can see our flaws but we have to remember that fuck i'm sexy as hell and you gotta own that because the confidence that you have just spills out over everybody and just there is something about confidence that can be picked up by everybody around you by 
the men that you're dating, um, if you're on a dating app, they can, I don't know, they can feel that confidence coming through, even just a message. I don't like, we must transmute that confidence because I know that when I had zero confidence, it felt like nobody would ever look at me. And to be honest, when I got a divorce, I thought, well, I'll just be single for the rest of my life because nobody's ever going to want me. Thankfully, you know, I worked through that because now I'm like, damn, they all want me. <laughs> well, and I think, so there's so much around that that I want to unpack. One, I agree with you. It's the confidence, right? I think part of that too is the mindset work that we have to do, especially as elder millennials and Gen X. We were raised to believe that skinny is pretty. Skinny is sexy. You know, I nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I think that that was so ingrained in us that we created this subconscious belief that if we were not a, you know, heroin chic model, that we were not attractive or sexually desirable. And I think what we're learning now is that that is the exact opposite. Now, it can't go to an extreme of like fetish, like fetishes. I can't say the word fetish. Yeah. I was trying to say Zation, like add it to that, but I can't like of our bodies and like our curves and things. But men love our curves. Men love our curves. And I didn't realize how much men enjoyed a curvy body um, until my divorce, to be honest. I mean, my my ex-husband did, you know, when we first got together. Um, But I didn't realize how many I, you know. I was still under the impression that, oh, men only go for the skinny ones. And that is, that's so, because I was still stuck in that mindset. And that is so, no, men love everybody. And I'm not, but everybody is not for every man. Every man is going to find something else, you know, has their own thing that they find attractive, just like we do. But it's not about our bodies i feel like they when you have that confidence and you're able to show your vulnerability and your confidence and your honesty when you talk to them like that just sucks them in and they do not notice the zit on your ass or you know the scar you have from who knows what all those years ago i have so many scars from my c-sections and my hysterectomy and i had a breast reduction so my boobs are you know their scars are on my nipples and you know what nobody ever has said a thing they just love my body it doesn't matter what scars are on there men really don't care and i think women need to realize that and just love themselves because life is too short not to just fucking love ourselves and be confident and fucking enjoy sex. I think one of the only regrets I have in my life is that I hated my body as much as I did when I was younger. I don't think I regret anything else because you're right. I've said say this a lot that life is too short to wait for somebody else to do things with, to travel internationally, to go to that place that's on your bucket list, to do that big scary thing that you've been wanting to do. And the same thing goes with embracing your sexuality and learning, you know, how you can, how, how you enjoy your body. 
And it might be, and I think this is too, is like how I enjoy my body when I'm by myself is a little different than I think what I enjoy when I'm with a partner. And I want to talk to you a little bit about ADHD and sex because we've talked about this and this is your specialization, right? Like this is your- towards that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I found myself as an ADHD woman. When I'm by myself, I I have a harder time because I know what's going to happen And yet when I'm with somebody else, I have a hard time because I don't quite know what to do with my hands. And like, (laughs) I was telling somebody this and I was like, listen, it's not that I'm necessarily a sub. I just need my hands not to need to be in the equation when things are happening to me or for me, because I get really in my head about what am I doing with my hands? So like, what are some things that you've seen like as 88, like, with ADHD and pleasure and like how that can kind of impact how you experience it. So it's funny because I just wrote an article on sex toys for sex toys for ADHDers, you know, because different things might bother us. Too many buttons or, you know, like fuck this way because it's not, you know, and just keep hitting buttons or we, it's not that we always need simplicity. However, sometimes we do. So you know, to have multiple toys that do different things because we need variety so much. And so talking about your hands, it's because we're fidgety. And I made a comment, somebody said something, oh, I was talking about cuddling because I can't, I love the idea of cuddling and I love cuddling for like five seconds probably. But then I get fidgety. Like I can't just lay here. Oh, my leg itches there or, you know, I have to move. I can't just lay there. And it's just, And it's like, okay, what can I do? Because some partners, you know, really like to cuddle. And for me, I just like use my hands to maybe like lightly tickle my partner or whatever, not tickle, tickle, but you know, so it feels good. Just touchy. I'm a touchy feely person too. So that's something that I would definitely do during sex. Like I always have to be touching during sex. So whether it's their shoulders or their hair or their ass my hands are always moving and running across them. So you could do that or they could tie your hands and you would really enjoy that because then you don't have to use your hands and you don't have to have the um, distraction that is in your head telling you, oh, what am I, what should I be doing with my hands? Because right there is the ADHD distraction that happens. And it's not just hands. It can be a multitude of things. Sometimes we have our to-do list going through our head because, or maybe we're extra stressed and not that we don't enjoy sex, but in this moment right now, our brain is thinking of something else and we need variety. So if it's as an ADHD person, if it's the same sex, monotonous sex time and time again, you're going to get bored. And that's when they're like, well, why even do it then? Like, you know, it it makes something like, I don't even want it anymore because it's the same thing. But yet people are too scared to talk about, to communicate about what they want and want to explore. And exploration and trying new things, you have to have communication to do that. And here's where the intimacy, the emotional intimacy and vulnerability and honesty come in. And yeah, so... As an ADHD person, tie your hands, have them tie your hands up with a tie. Talk about this beforehand. You, If it's hard for you to start this conversation, send a text like, hey, 
do you think you could try tying my hands with a, with your tie if he wears a tie? If not, be like, stop at the sex store and grab some rope. And, you know, there's handcuffs. I mean, there's so many things that you can do. And this is a perfect segue because that was actually going to be one of my next questions or comments, I guess. But I really want to start normalizing these types of conversations. And I feel like now people are more open to communicating about these things. I know that before, you know, um, if I was going to be with a new partner or whatever, it is much more normal now to be like, okay, what are your boundaries? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? What are you open to? What are you not open to? And those sorts of things before you even like make it to the bedroom, like even just via text. And I really love that direct communication, especially as somebody with ADHD. I hate ambiguity. I hate trying to like figure out what somebody is thinking or doing. Like, tell me what yeah. the lines are. I'll tell you where mine are. And then like, we're both have an understanding that like anything outside of that is going to be a conversation before it happens. Yep. Definitely. And I think that's why we've seen even a rise in conversations around like kinks in the kink community. And I think that kink has a, had a stigma attached to it for like a real long time. And um, don't make it, get me wrong. There are some that are icks for me, but I'm not going to yuck your gum, right? Yeah. Like I'm not going to yuck your gum. But I think that it's really important to kind of normalize the fact that, you know, missionary is not the only way to have sex. And like, it's okay to actually enjoy it and bring things into the bedroom that are going to help enhance the experience. For sure. And I think foreplay has needs to come back. That is important. And I think a lot of people forget about that after they're in a relationship a little bit longer. That foreplay is so needed for women um, because it we... It takes us a minute to to get to that place. We don't have spontaneous desire. We have responsive desire. So it's going to take us some time, some time. I mean, sometimes that can be a conversation beforehand. You can be texting amazing text for like three days before you meet. Or, you know, even if it's your boyfriend, if he's at work that day, sexting can get you so worked up. And that's foreplay, too. And it's so good. And I think that's the thing. People think foreplay is just like what you do before penetration, but it includes everything leading up to honestly even getting into that space. And I think that's why we're starting to see the rise, A, of spicy book talk, right? Like, I read... I read so many smutty books, y'all. I'm on like book 87 this year. Don't judge me, which is probably one of the many reasons why I am feral. But <laughs> also the rise, yeah, the rise that that hysterectomy hormones. It's fun. That and the rise of the audio apps for women, I think, is a really big deal. And like so much of those audio apps, because I've done the free trials of both. I think it's like Quinn and Dipsy and not sponsored, but if you want to, I'm open to it, y'all. Um, and so much of that is the buildup and the anticipation. Very little of it is the actual like sex part. Like it's the teasing, it's the talking about it, it's the anticipation of what you're going to do. All of that is a part of the foreplay. Well, in women, 
we so men are more visual but women it's in our head so women there are some women who can orgasm just by thinking about it or fuck up are you serious what is happening in in my one of my adhd groups um there was a thread going on about women having orgasms in their sleep and wondered you know and there was woman after woman that this is happening to and i was just like well i guess maybe you know like i haven't had a good but i don't remember my dreams either so but i'd love to wake up to one of those someday i mean so we our minds are so incredible that we can fantasize and we can get ready that way i mean it doesn't always I mean, they're obviously that's a great way, but there should be there should be foreplay as well, like the touching. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But to start that way and get you worked up, oh my gosh, it makes sex so much. I mean, I'm not saying it's better than other sex, but to help you get there, it's phenomenal. And to help like keep it new and keep it fresh and keep it, you know, interesting. So it's not the same old thing. You're not starting the same old way where it's like. Hey, honey, how about tonight? No, I've got a headache. It's not that, right? Like it's, you're creating a full experience. And I think too, as women, we somehow have been taught to be ashamed of our like fantasies or our ability to create like stories in our heads or imaginations and things from a very young age, right? We're taught to kind of keep our feet on the ground and like, don't get, don't get too caught up in the possibilities of things. But that really is like a superpower for us when it comes to pleasure and sex. Yes. And as an ADHD woman, if we can stay in the moment by having the fantasies in our head instead of our cleaning list or to-do list running through there, I find myself sometimes if I start to lose focus on what's going on during sex that I have to bring bring myself back that's taken a lot of practice to be in whether I'm in there focusing on the pleasure that I'm currently experiencing or sometimes I might have to throw in one of the scenarios that I thought about earlier in the week as I talked to a person you know what I mean like oh as I talked to my partner I was thinking this you know, one time when I was masturbating. So maybe my mind has to go there. Um, that's not a bad thing. And people might disagree with me. Um, and the society is going to say, oh, that's so bad. You can't be thinking about whatever. But you know what? That's better than a fucking to-do list. So bring your fantasies with you in the bedroom if you're having trouble staying focused because of your to-do list. There's nothing wrong with your Your brain is the biggest sex organ we can do so much in there and we should like and in in my in sex coaching at least I was trained under we start there's five areas that I actually address and the mind is is the first you know is the first one because that's where all the mistaken beliefs are held all our self-talk what we tell ourselves what we think we know or what we think the other person is thinking our belief system that could be impeding having satisfying sex and our capacity for fantasy is in our mind and then also sexual performance that's going through our head is am i doing this right and you know so 
our mind is many times the blockage that I need to clear with my clients. And, you know, emotions, body, energy, and spirit. It's called the Meebs model. So if all five of those are in alignment, you're going to have the greatest sex. And if there's a block, it's not going to flow as well. And I'm not saying that you can't have great sex having a couple of these blocked. can, but can you imagine the sex you could have if they were unblocked? And we're always, we should always be working on ourselves anyways. You know, there's always some type of growth that we can do. And sometimes, like I said, it's about re-education right at the beginning. And also, you know, we're talking about orgasm, but that is not the end goal. Is it the end goal? Yes. I read somewhere once that sex is like an opera. You don't go to the opera just for the ending. You need the whole thing is beautiful and pleasurable and enjoyable. And that's how sex should be. We're not, we don't have sex just to get to the ending. Like there's so much more in the middle. This, the orgasm is like, what, five to 10 seconds. And you have, so you can't look at it as, oh, I'm so excited for 10 seconds of pleasure. Like, no, (laughs) I'm dead. I'm dead. I have two hours of pleasure. <laughs> I'm totally. I had a question about. <laughs> now you're gonna be thinking about the oh, opera the next time you have sex. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um. <laughs> we have to take our time, like the orgasm. You know, five to ten seconds at the end. I remember. Wow. And so, and this is this is something I actually talk through, like. When I'm talking to somebody and like we're dating and like figuring out if I'm going to hook up with them or not or like if we're going to take that step, one of the questions I always pose is like true or false, laughter belongs in the bedroom. Like laughter has a place in the bedroom because sex should be fun. It should not be this serious fucking thing. Like if you can't giggle and have a good time, like I mean, yeah, there's times where it is like real intense and like it's not a thing, but like if you can't like giggle and have a good time at like the awkward moments that are going to happen, and if you if you're in the Patreon, I'm gonna see if Denise has some time to stick around for some bonus content and I will share some of my embarrassing stories that have definitely happened. Like if you can't laugh at those, it's it's gonna ruin the experience and it's it's not fun anymore. It's it's not a chore. It's not something that you have to do. It is not something that you're obligated to do, whether you are someone who identifies as female or male or heterosexual or bisexual or lesbian or gay or whatever, it's not an obligation. It is something that you get to do and it should be fun. Yes. I mean, does laughter belong in there all the time? No, but you have to have a sense of humor when the when stuff happens. Like something is going to happen, an embarrassing thing is going to happen. And I come from humor from a lot of things. And in the bedroom. It's my trauma response. You have to. Like (laughs) laughter plus orgasm. All of those good chemicals. Like that's the best. Sign me up. (laughs) But yeah, like I mean, you know, even just like at a, like when you're changing positions, shit's going to get awkward, right? Especially as you're learning a new partner. And so being able to like not take yourself so seriously when those happen, I feel like 
is a good sign of trust too, because if you're able to like laugh in those moments, I feel like it shows that you trust that the other person isn't like judging you or, you know, like is in with you on this and like is also like acknowledging, hey, this is awkward, but it doesn't ultimately impact what is happening right now. And sometimes I have to stop my brain from saying some smart ass comment in the middle of it. <laughs> but sometimes those fly out anyway. Listen, if somebody doesn't want a smart ass comment, don't go out with me. I'm sorry. It's who I am. Right. <laughs> I, that's another one of my questions. True, true or false, roasting is a love language because you can ask, like, even outside of romantic romantic relationships, my sister and I are literally roasting each other 24-7 and then ending the conversation with, like, I love you, bitch. Like, the yep. end, that is how I operate. So if you can't handle that, it's probably not a good fit. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. The after definitely belongs in the bedroom. Because how else do you get over those? I mean, you have to have fun, too. Like, fun is part of sex. It really is. And you cannot explore without having something happen it's so you have to know that it, keep that humor involved all the time because something is going to happen and you might as well laugh about it like everybody somebody's going to fart at some point uh, you know there's going to be noises there's you know you may have just hinted at one of the stories that i'm going to share in the bonus content so you know if you want to hear more about that, join the Patreon, patreon.com slash dictionary. <laughs> Denise, this has been so much fun. And I am, I'm definitely, if you're open to it, would love to have you back on. And maybe we can get oh, yeah. some listener questions, you know, questions that listeners may have anonymously or whatnot. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Yes, you can find me on Facebook. My business page is Denise Heller Coaching. LLC. Uh, I'm also, I work with the ADHD community under the original ADHD coach. So there's three ADHD life coaches, life, business, work. They do a trauma, PTSD. They do a lot of work with ADHD adults. And then I am the sex coach. So the original ADHD coach. And you'll have my links to my website as well, which is denisehellercoaching.com. I have a private Facebook group that you can join for some spicy conversations where things aren't held back, but you know, it's still, people are still scared, even in a, in a safe environment, but at least the conversations are happening in there, whether you want to join them or not, it's still a safe place for those conversations. Even if you just want to observe and absorb the information, you don't have to participate but it's a great place to be able to get some information. And I try to post that. Although, you know, of course, Facebook rules and stuff, I can't post too much of that. But yeah, I didn't realize all of our time went so quickly. I know. Well, that's, we I, we could chat for hours because we did the other day. I'll make sure all of your show notes, all of your links will be in our show notes, Denise. Thank you again. And stick around for some bonus content if you're on the Patreon. Thank you, everybody. You have a great night. Thanks for joining us on Ditch the Ick. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Ditch the Ick Pod. You can shoot us DMs, listener stories. In our highlights, you'll see some listener story prompts. You can share them with us anonymously or with your name. It's up to you. But we always love to connect and get to know you on social. And if you haven't already, head to patreon.com slash ditch the ick 
you'll see a couple of different levels where you can subscribe and get access to exclusive content, get early access to the videos in some cases, you get first dibs on listener stories. So make sure you head over there and subscribe. It really helps keep this going. If you're looking to join the community, meet some other single people, maybe you need some new friends, share your thoughts, comments, responses to the episode, you can head over to Facebook. We've got a free private group called Ditch the Ick, and it's going to be a really safe space for us to share our stories, connect, and make friends. 